Namaste, Manish. Namaste. Well, to tell a little bit about uh, our podcast from today, it all started when I was reading, uh, I was going through your blog, and uh, one of the articles in which you were explaining about the tradition of mantra, in one of the paragraphs you made a lot of emphasis explaining that, uh, guys, not everything is a mantra that comes from India. And that really called my attention. And you were saying that many times you you read or you hear, for example, in live concerts, a singer saying, okay, now we will do the next mantra, the next mantra is for this, that, and maybe they end up doing <laughs> a Bollywood song or something, and you're like, oh my God, you cannot uh, really call this uh, mantra, because in India also there are a lot of different styles of uh, music, traditions, and sciences, and a mantra is something very specific. So based on this, well, in that article you were explaining very briefly what are the requirements of mantra and what other styles of sacred music uh, is presented in India. And well, so around this subject, I would like to ask you some questions. Firstly, I would like to ask you what are the different varieties in mantras? Sometimes things are sung in Sanskrit, so is everything we hear from India, which is in Sanskrit, is it called the mantra also? Yes, that is one uh, area where in the West there is not much uh, clear information that what are the different uh, types of Sanskrit uh, texts and uh, that not everything in Sanskrit is a mantra. So, though mantras itself can be categorized in many ways and uh, you will find that information in one of my blogs or if you have been to one of my workshops I have talked about the different categories of mantras but as far as uh, uh, Sanskrit texts are concerned the Sanskrit verses or Sanskrit texts are categorized according to the strength and uh, and its effect how how strong or weak is the effect and accordingly the classification happens so in that uh, classification the first one which comes is known as chalisas so chalisas comes from the word chalis in hindi which means 40 so chalisas are like a type of Sanskrit verses which are in number 40 and they are usually in the praise of a certain male or female deity which is meant to be recited or read once a day. So if someone has a certain connection with a certain deity, let's say Krishna or Ram or Hanuman or a certain goddess, then there are always certain 40 verses which are dedicated to that 
deity and uh, one is suggested to read or sing it once a day for people who are not very well versed in sanskrit there are also versions in hindi so that people can understand i'm i'm specifying people who know hindi mainly in india and the neighboring regions so of course if you do it in sanskrit it is better but otherwise in hindi is also fine and uh, in chalisas one of the most well known chalisa version is of hanuman chalisa dedicated to hanuman and uh, it is invoked for courage protection strength uh you know in india i used to see sometimes i would be traveling in a metro train or a bus or some public transport and people are going to the work and many times in these trains or buses you will find people reading a small chalisa booklet in their hand and while using their time of traveling they are connecting with that energy of chalisa but uh, it is also known as the chalisas are the least powerful then comes shlokas these are also verses in sanskrit but they are a little bit more they have a little more strength they have a little more energy and power compared to the chalisas but not as much as a mantra so there are certain shlokas which we recite as part of our daily functions let's say when you wake up in the morning there is a shloka that you read by looking at your hand then there is a shloka or a prayer that we pray to the earth before stepping then while taking bath so these are also once a day function and they are also in sanskrit but they are not as powerful as mantra but more powerful than the chalisas then comes stotras or stotras these are also sacred verses in the dedication of a particular deity uh, here there can be eight verses or five verses or 10 verses it depends on the deity so we call it ashtakam panchakam shatakam and there are many examples of that here is an example of a chalisa And now here is an example of a shloka Agrivasate Lakshmi Karamadhi Saraswati Karamule tu Govindam Prabhate karadarshanam 
प्रभाते कर And finally here is an example of a stotras Veda swarupam vibhumyapakam brahma veda swarupam nijam nirgunam nirvikalpam nireham chidakasham akashvasam bhajeham chidakasham akashvasam so after chalisa shloka in stotra comes sahasranam sahasranams are more powerful than the previous three they are usually 108 or 1008 names of different deities they would always begin with om and then the name of the deity ending with namaha so one of the famous uh, sahasranam is from surya and there is a surya sahasranam stotra which is very very well known and they are basically om the name of sun in 1008 different ways and ending with namaha and naturally they are considered more powerful than chalisa shloka and stotras there is also a very well known vishnu sahasranam or lalita sahasranam so each goddess and god or each deity has at least one shatranam meaning hundred names or sahasranam 1000 names in their dedication so i'm going to play you a small example of a sahasranam this is surya sahasranam oh asya shri surya sahasranam stotrasya vedavyasa rushihi ಅನುಷ್ಟುಪಂದಿತ್ಯಾತ್ಮಜಿತೇಂದ್ರ and finally comes mantras they are next in the strength of their power somewhere i've heard that it is said that if chalisas have a strength of 100 then shlokas have 1000 and mantras have 100000 last in the line is kavach so talking about mantras of course there we have many mantras in, in our uh, subject of podcast mantras have always been in the focus what are the requirements for something to be a mantra a mantra is always 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 in sanskrit 
So if somebody tells you that here is a mantra in Hebrew or here is a mantra in Arabic or in English, that is not true. That may be a chant, that may be a something that you sing or pray, but it is not a mantra. And the people from this Kundalini Yoga that was developed in the US are always calling this Gurbani also mantra, which is not, right? Yeah, the Gurbani is a pure uh, sacred text, sacred verses, uh, which was recited and spoken by their ten gurus, eventually compiled in a book. And it is in the language of Gurumukhi, which is like, you can say, the Sanskrit of Punjabi. Like we have Hindi and Sanskrit, so Hindi is a common man's language, while Sanskrit is more a scholarly language now. The same way it is Punjabi versus Gurumukhi. So the whole sacred holy book of Sikhism is in Gurumukhi. And naturally it is not a mantra, it is a wonderful, beautiful text. So then it comes, what are the criterias of something to be a mantra? So first criteria is that it is in Sanskrit. It must always begin with an Om and it usually ends with Namaha, Swaha, Hum, Phat with such endings. Usually it is dedicated to a deity, so there is a name of the god or goddess in between. There is also a certain meter has to be followed. There is also usually a seed mantra or what we call a beej mantra, which is also part of it. So for example, if I say Om Ganapataye Namaha. So as you see, it starts with Om, it ends with Namaha. Then Om Gang or Gam. This Gang or Gam is the beej mantra, the seed mantra. These seed mantras have practically no meaning, but it has a direct connection of energy with that particular deity. So it is purely a sound, purely a vibration. Another example is uh, Om Aing Saraswatye Namaha. So Om Namaha, as you see, the beginning and the end. Aing is the Bij mantra of Saraswati. And then the name Saraswatye Namaha. In the previous example, Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha. Yeah. For example, we have one of the most well-known mantra, Om Burbu Vasvahatat Savitruvarenyam Bhargu Devasya Dimahi Dhyoyona Prachodayat. The Gayatri mantra. So every mantra is also related with a certain Rishi. The Rishi who perceived this mantra, the Rishi who brought this mantra through their meditation to the people so that people can be benefited. So a mantra is also connected with the Rishi who perceived it, who sees it, 
that's why they are called rishis that rishi basically means seer the one who sees the one who sees things as they are as i always say and then there is always a certain what we call kilak which is hidden in the mantra which is like a secret key which is only told to you by your guru who has initiated you in the mantra and only at the right time after your intense practice that key opens a certain energy lock so this is not visible in the mantra but it is somewhere hidden invisible also mantras have uh, between 11 and 20 syllables if there are less than 11 then they are bij mantras or the seed mantras and if there are more than 20 then what we call the mala mantras then there are the mala mantras so that is a short explanation of a mantra and here is one example of a proper mantra And finally the most powerful of all these categories is called kavach kavach means a protective object in the reference to a mantra a kavach is a very long stotra and it is usually protective but it is also used to accomplish certain tasks certain uh, certain needs and to achieve certain powers but the best function of kavach stotras is for the protection and kavachs are also for different deities like shiva durga and many other deities so here is an example of durga saptashati which is very powerful even if you don't recite it or even if you just listen to it it definitely creates this energy of protection around you And besides the most known categories uh, mantra and kirtan uh, what would be other forms of sacred music in india that we can find in india Yes and because you mentioned mantras and kirtans so here in the earlier talk we covered mantras but we haven't covered kirtans so while mantra is a very specialized practice kirtan is completely different practice so mantra chanting practice or mantra reciting practice needs a different procedure altogether 
while kirtan comes in what we call in the tradition of bhakti in the tradition of naam smaran naam smaran meaning remembering the name of the divine so there not too much uh, procedure is there there is not really any code of conduct there it is simply merging in the flow of the music chanting the name of the divine and uh, flowing with the energy of the music and usually a kirtan needs to be slowly slowly building up vertically in the energy it cannot not, cannot be horizontal then it's more like what we call a bhajan so bhajan is something which is a devotional song either uh, in the praise of a guru in the praise of somebody that you river you respect you trust you surrender or any particular deity or sometimes bhajan is simply talking about the ultimate truth of life the wisdom of life the reality of life and bhajan can be horizontal it does not need to build up musically but kirtan for something to be called a kirtan it needs to be slowly slowly building up in energy going to the crescendo and in that way the whole mechanism is that the participant simply dissolves him or herself through the music connecting with the energy of the divine merging into that oneness so that is the different between mantra and kirtan many times here in the west people are singing a mantra but they call it a kirtan which is not from the definition point of view and from the energy point of view it is not the same a mantra is a mantra yes a mantra can turn into a kirtan but if it remains more and more horizontal then yes then it's either a mantra or depending it's a bhajan or something and then kirtan has to have this vertical build up and apart from mantra and kirtans as i said there are many other sacred forms of music especially in india why i'm mentioning india is because india is one of that land which has since thousands of years dedicated a lot of energy a lot of attention a lot of time a lot of resources into discovery of oneself and because of that many paths were discovered so also a lot of different kinds of sacred music were also created there there are many different traditions in india which has always kept music as a way to connect with the divine so apart from sanatan dharma and within sanatan dharma there has been a tradition of mantra chanting and of course the kirtan music and bhajans then we have this beautiful tradition from sikhism and they have this fantastic uh, beautifully rendered uh, sacred songs from gurbani which is in the language of gurumukhi as i said earlier and what what are this what they call shabad or kirtan is simply sacred songs written by the 10 gurus of their tradition 
Interestingly, in India, many enlightened people who were considered saints or sages, they had this amazing capacity to convey their realization, their experience, their wisdom in the form of simple poetry. So maybe for the people who could not understand or could not communicate in Sanskrit, this was a way to reach the most ordinary person and help him to grow spiritually in their life so that they can ultimately discover their true nature. This was the way of many of the saints to write their message in the form of simple poetries so that anybody can understand it. And then eventually this, many of these wonderful songs written by these enlightened mystics get started being sung by musicians so when the wisdom is combined with the music it has even more potential to penetrate the listener and connect with the meaning of those sacred verses so i can i cannot even count how many thousand saints or more have done this work of uh, creating these sacred songs, but we have some of the well-known names like Guru Nanak, Meera, Kabir, Redas, Dadu, Farid, Surdas, Tulsidas, I mean endless, endless names of uh, enlightened sages down the ages who conveyed their wisdom in the form of this, what many of them are called Pad. So while in Gurubani they have what they call Shabad, in other uh, Sanatan Dharma tradition, they call them Pads or Bhajans or different things. So that is another variety. Then, because also there was a migration and invasion from the Islamic countries from the Middle East and uh, other places, along with them came the Sufis to India. And Sufis, of course, they had their rich spiritual tradition, which also got influenced by already existing sacred music tradition from India like Kirtan. So then they got merged and a beautiful tradition of Sufi music got uh, birth and uh, came another form of music called Kabwali, which is a very, very powerful tradition of sacred music from India. And uh, until now, it has been a very popular form of 
energetic sacred music and many times i mentioned in my retreats and workshops that though uh, hundreds and thousands of people have worked in this tradition and still now in india and in pakistan many people carry on and continue this tradition into their generations they have absorbed these traditions from the generations and they are passing on to their next generations some of the most well known names names of this tradition are nusrat fateh ali khan abida parveen sabri brothers and in india many many other musicians you can look in on internet and you will find these sources so yes sufi music has been another tradition of sacred music from this uh, continent Is there a training required for each of these traditions? Of course, you know this this has deep roots into these ancient traditions and mostly as I say like I know in Sufi tradition there are up to sometimes 15 17 generations who are passing on this uh, wonderful uh, art to their uh, coming generations. So not only training is required but if you are lucky enough to be born in that lineage then it's like you are kind of carrying that in your blood but of course it doesn't mean it's a criteria many people who may have no background in that or no kind of family background but they get connected with the right sources and right teachers but yes with that intense training and practice and being most important thing is being in that atmosphere you know for example when we talk about these bhajan singers or kirtan singers a lot of them are in always around surrounded by these vibrations these traditions these cultural practices so a lot of things are absorbed naturally like that so for them it's very easy to transmit that through their music same thing in sufism you know the kids grow up even before they can walk they are able to already sing some ragas and or tabla players who can play fantastic tabla at the age of 4 or 5 so yes there is nothing possible it's not just that i'm a musician and i'm a rock singer and okay from tomorrow i'm going to start singing kirtan and mantras so i just pick up my guitar and start doing that no it's not like that and that that applies to any form of music uh, i don't need to uh, explain that much more i think all of you listeners are wise people and especially when the tradition is more ancient it has deeper roots obviously one needs to access the right source and with a lot of patience and trust and practice and the right guidance and the right knowledge 
one slowly slowly builds that strength into uh, into be being able to pass on the same richness of the tradition in its most uh, authentic form Jai Jai Govind Hare Hare